Peter chapter 1. Um, and we're going to be reading the whole chapter, but we will, pe- we will pick up from uh, verse 15 to the end of the chapter. So follow along if you can. Verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and our sa- and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all Uh, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given, uh, has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, Give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed uh, from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present uh, truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I will put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ has uh, shown me. Moreover, verse 15, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in dark places, in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. But pro- uh, for prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved 
by the Holy Spirit. Father, I do pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon this place and move even right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Before Peter moves on to his main teaching, and, and, I, and I've, I've, I've shared with you the theme of this book is the last days. But before he goes into the last days and he speaks about the false teachers that are coming on the scene, he is reminding them once again here in what we're reading, reminding his readers of what they should be remembering. That they should be growing, remembering those things that make for growth. That they would not be negligent to grow, but that they would be diligent to grow. Going back to those things which, which are basics, which are fundamentals, because false teachers had come in and were coming into the church back then, as today, but back then, and they were leading people astray. And so he is throwing out the warning, the encouragement to be to have these basic principles, these, these, these foundational truths in their lives. You see, if we don't know or if we don't have those basics um, or those foundations deep down in our hearts, we're going to be led astray. We're, we're, we're going to believe everything that other people are saying that are not truly teaching the Word of God. We're going to be be um, kind of, it, it's going to be tantalizing. When we hear something, we're going, huh. Because you don't know what the Scriptures say, you're going to be drawn away by what they're saying. And so again, he's saying, if you don't know these things, if you don't have these things, deep down in your heart and in your mind even, to know, then you will be drawn away. And so Peter is reminding his readers about what they need to heed. And he's reminding us as well that we need to heed these things. And to be quite honest, these things that we have already covered in this chapter, this first chapter of Second Peter, the things that we have covered here are rudimentary. They are elementary and, and basic for the Christian. Now, I don't know if you've been here for the last month or so that we've been in this chapter. But even if you haven't, just reading through it as we did this morning, you should have at least a, at least a glimpse, an understanding of what God wants from you and in your life. You should already, even if you're a new Christian and, and you've just begun to grow a little bit or to gain some understanding, ver chapter 1 has such rudimentary principles that we should understand them so that we're not being drawn away. We're being, we're being drawn into the Word of God and, le and, and not unto people who are taking the Word of God and using it and abusing it. We need to know these principles that He has, by His divine power, given us everything we need for life and godliness. That should be a rudimentary thing in your life that He has given you everything. He has not held anything back. Even as a young Christian, you should be understanding that. And if you didn't, now you do. Okay? Now you understand that He has given you everything. It's all in his, in his word. He has not kept anything back from you. 
And so he is telling us here that, that we need to be into these basic things so that we're not being drawn away. And I think Peter here nailed it. I mean, he like totally nailed it when he said, if these things are yours and abound, if these things are true, like, like he covered in verse 8, if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren or unfruitful. No, he says, if these things are yours and abound, you will never stumble. You will never stumble. You will never go back to what you used to be like because you've already gotten some rudimentary principles that teach you that He has given you everything. And so if you're doing these things, you will never stumble. That's an amazing statement. You will never go back and stay back there. Oh, I'm not saying you're not going to mess up. Don't get me wrong. But you're not going to want to continue to mess up and go back there where you used to be. Because he's teaching us right here that if we do these things, or if these things are yours and abound, you won't stumble. You won't fall and stay down. Guys, we all stumble and we all fall in so many different ways. But guess what? The Proverbs tell us the righteous man falls seven times and he gets back up. He gets back up. And he continues to move forward even after. But so many people, they fall. It's like, ah, forget this stupid thing. And it's like, no, no, I'm sorry. He has taught us right here that we are and we can not fall. We can continue to move forward. And so Peter is now reminding his readers and us, for that matter, of something that changed his life radically forever he's going to share with us some of these things you see he was an eyewitness of it and because he saw it and heard it with his own eyes and his own ears nothing was ever the same it was so epic that he could not go back to where he what he used to be because he saw something and he heard something that was unbelievable and there was nothing or nobody that would be able to refute or disprove or rebut anything that he had saw and heard. Because he would take this and he would stand on it to death. He knew it and nobody could talk him out of it. I, I, I don't know if you've ever been an eyewitness to something that has changed you forever. I, I, I'm sure many of you have, have witnessed something in your life that has just kind of woke you up to say, Whoa. This, this is so amazing. I can never be the same. I, I, I'm sure some of you guys are already recounting some of the things that you have eyewitnessed or been a part of that you can recount it right now as if it was yesterday because it changed you so much. The, the, the one thing that stood out to me, and there are a lot of things that have changed my life, and I say that oftentimes even about a good burger, man. It just like changes your life. And some of you who I brag about a good place to go eat is like, try it, man. It'll change your life. No, this is totally different. This is like for real. This is like not just food stuff that changes your life. This is like experiences or something that happened in your life that is like you are never the same. <laughs> I've eaten burgers that I've never been the same after that. It is amazing. But that's not what I'm talking about. Because you guys are going like, oh, everything changes your life, Zeke. No, the one thing, honestly, the one thing that stands out 
that totally changed my life is the death of my dad. The death of my dad when I was there. And, and everything that happened, man, I could recount it right now to you if I wanted to, as if it happened yesterday and it was like eight years ago. Because it changed me radically. To see my dad go into eternity and the way it all happened and the way it all came about, I, I, I've played it over and over in my mind so many different times that there is nothing anybody could say. Because you could say, oh, come on, that didn't happen. If I explained it to you, you're going, oh, come on, that just sounds too weird. It's like, I'm sorry. You can't change me because I've been there. I was there. It is so embedded in my heart, in my life, that I could never, ever forget it. You see, it changed just my whole outlook in in a lot of different areas. It was such a holy moment in that sense. Because I played it over and over and nobody or nothing can change what I saw and heard that day. And so Peter, in verse 15, where he says, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter was going to see to it that these things that he is about to share with us would never, or that you would always be able to remember. It would come to mind because of what you've heard. This is what Peter is saying, I will make sure. He wanted his readers to understand how true this was even after he he was long gone. You see, the words, be careful to ensure, if you have a King James Version with you, it, it says that I will endeavor, it's the word endeavor, to Uh, To be careful to ensure means endeavor. And it is the same Greek word that we have already covered a couple of times in this chapter. And that Greek word is the same word that defines the word diligent and diligent. When when, when he says back in in verse uh, 5 where he says, But I also for this very... also, for this very reason, giving all diligence. And then back in verse 10, brethren, uh, be even more diligent to make your election sure. That same word is used right here with, with these words to be careful to ensure. We've covered that word several times and it means to make haste. To make effort, every effort. With all eagerness is the word diligence, is the word endeavor. I, I, I like the fact that Peter was not just telling others what to do. <laughs> to tell everybody, you guys be diligent. Well, I just kind of kicked back about it. No, he was going to, to, to be diligent to add to his faith virtue. He was going to be diligent to add to virtue knowledge and all those things. He was going to do that himself. Or he had done it and he's encouraging others to do, to do the same thing. He was going to be even more diligent to make his call and election sure. He wasn't just telling everybody else to do it. He was doing it in his own life. And so Peter here is not just telling people what to do. He himself will exert himself to do all he could to do what he is telling his readers to do. He wasn't going to just kick back and not do it himself. You see, he was also going to make every effort to ensure that nobody ever forgot 
what he was about to tell us. And I would say that he has succeeded. He has succeeded in the sense that this morning we are studying the very thing. He says, I will make sure you will never forget it. And 2,000 years later, we are reading it again and we have not forgot it because he made sure. What a reminder. I, I don't think he, it's like, hey, God, I just wrote this down in the letter, so make sure it's in, the, in your word so people never forget it. I don't think it was like that. I just believe that everything that, 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 that Peter was, was doing and saying, he was so clued in into what God was doing that God was just in on it. And it became part of his word. Not only did Peter write these letters that we are studying and are, have studied so that we can be reminded, but Peter also had a young man by the name of Mark hanging around him that he poured into as well. And he continued to, or, or Mark continued to tell the stories that he heard from Peter so that other people would hear the things that Peter was talking about because he was always reminding people of these amazing things that were going on in his life. He heard them personally from Peter, from the horse's mouth. And so he was going to share these things because he heard it from Peter. Most believe that the gospel of Mark could really be the gospel of Peter. They were so close that everything that he translated or, or, or told to, to Mark, Mark put it on paper, and a lot of people believe this is the account of Peter. But it's the Gospel of Mark. He was inspired by Peter to write these things down, of course, through the Holy Spirit. But those who wrote these things down, they were, they were ensuring what Peter had on his heart. And they will always be a reminder to us. In, in verse 15, he uses the word deceased. He says, I, I will continue to remind you even after my decease. And it's interesting that he uses that word deceased for his death. Because that word deceased means departure. Exodus. To exit. Like the children of Israel when they left one place to enter into another place. It is the same word that is used in Luke 9, verse 31, when talking about Jesus' departure when he was on the mountain of transfiguration, this story that we are covering this morning. The word deceased was used about Jesus there, proving once again that for the believer, death is only leaving one place to enter into another place. Isn't that amazing? That the death of a believer is just a departure, an exit from one place to another. And, 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 and we, we saw that even last week in verse 11 where it says, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As you exit this place, you enter into another place and there's going to be a great homecoming when you as the believer gets there and so when you decease <laughs> you depart you exodus you enter into another place what a, what a confirmation once again that we have eternal life it proves to us once again that what his word says is so true the fact that today we have the written word of god 
The words that Peter wanted to make sure that we remembered proves that God was in on what he was doing, what he was sharing. God was in on it because we have the reminder with us today. It has become a part of the word of God. And so from verses 16 through, through 18, as we cover that portion here, where he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter, what Peter is talking about here is something that happened on the mountain of transfiguration. If you read the story, this is such an amazing portion of scripture. It is so epic. It almost like trumps everything else that these apostles, they, they, they got to experience. There was so much there that it was so mind blowing for them. It is written about in, in, in the gospels and in, in Matthew, Mark and Luke, the synoptic gospels. Even though Matthew, Mark or Luke were not there to be eyewitnesses, Peter was, he was there. And he shared this story with them, I'm sure. So what Peter says here is exactly what we find in the Gospels. They, the, Matthew, Luke, and, and Mark heard it from eyewitnesses, which was Peter, James, and John. They were the eyewitnesses. And they were the ones that were able to experience and see everything that had to do with not just this life, but the life after this. I, 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 I like the, the fact that it's Peter, James, and John. And, and people often say, oh, those guys were like Jesus' right hand. They, they were the inner circle. They were like top notch. And I like what Gail Irwin says about them. That uh, Jesus probably didn't trust them, leaving them behind. So he says, hey, you three, come with me. Because if I leave you guys here, you guys are going to like jack everything up. Here you have Peter, who always messed things up, and you have the sons of thunder who wanted to call down fire from heaven. And it's like, mm, you guys better come along with me. You guys will experience something totally different. It will change you guys instead of wanting to call down from heaven on people. This is what the Apostle John says in his first letter, in 1 John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 4. This is what he says. That which, we, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, at which, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. 
the Apostle John again. He experienced so much. More so than even the other guys. He was part of that group that went and experienced the, 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 the mountain of transfiguration. And he said, man, I, I, I just need to share it with you. Our, our Christian faith that we have is not something that is made up. It's not something that we came up with. They're not like nice, cute little stories so that people feel better about themselves. No, whenever you hear the Word of God, more often than not, you should not be feeling good about yourself. When you're reading the Word of God and you're truly like reading it to pay attention, you're finding out you are so wicked. Your heart is so deceitful in all ways. It, it just kind of tells you, you're not that good. When we're reading the Word of God, it kind of brings some conviction upon us to where we're going, oh, oh I'm such a wretch. He says, because you're right. You are such a wretched man that you need Jesus in your life. You see, we don't believe in these little good Feel good, fairy trap. Oh, don't get me wrong. There's some good things in the Word of God that make you feel good. Like, He died for your sins, you sinner. You better feel good about that one. Because He paid the price. You didn't have to. That is the good news, absolutely. But because you could not pay for it. There are some good things that we feel good about. But our faith is not something that we made up. It's not a fable. The word fable here in the Greek is muthos. It's a small word, so I was able to do it. Muthos. It means tale, i.e. fiction. And that's where we get our word myth from in the Greek. Muthos, myth. If man had made up this religion, this faith that we have, man would be looked upon a little differently than he does now. See, we if we made up this story, we would come out smelling like roses. We would be saying, man, there is some good in you. There's a lot of good in you. Just look into your heart. There's so much good. Oh, yes, I'm so good. See, that's what man would have said. That we are so good. There, were, there would have been a villain or two in there somewhere. But by and large, man would have come out looking really, really good. And as far as the Savior is concerned, well, he would have been portrayed in a different light. He would have been more of a superhero. Some kind of a macho man that gets the lady at the end of the story. But no, that's not the case either. See, man couldn't have wrote this. We, we, we would have made it look, I don't know, too romantic. In, in, in a way that it's like, man, man is so good. No, you look within yourself. How they tell you, you know, man, man says, you just look inside yourself. It's like, oh gosh, disgusting. Perverted. Wicked. There's so much ugliness in there. That's why we need Jesus. I would say that those who say that we are following some kind of cunningly devised fables, they just don't like the outcome of man. 
When they, when they understand what the Word of God is truly all about, the man is sinful. And he, man cannot do anything to save himself. That's what they don't like. So they say, oh, you guys just believe these fairy tales. It's all a myth. Because they don't want the responsibility that comes from God and what He requires of man. They want to play by their own rules, so they want to make up their own little myths. And, and, and this is the way it turns out. It's like, no, sorry, without Jesus, you're going to hell. That's the truth. See, man doesn't want to hear that. So they say, oh, you guys are crazy. Oh, you guys, oh, you're going to hell because your sins are, are, are forgiven. It's like, that's the good news, bro. I needed my sins forgiven because I could not do it on my own. Most of these men who, who come against Christianity, they blow it off as some myth because they don't want to follow it. Because they know that God requires something heavy. He requires your life. Because we can't do it. No, there's some historical facts that the power and the coming of Jesus Christ, that it is true. And it came from corroborating witnesses, reliable witnesses who were there, who wrote about the majesty. They understood. They saw it. They wrote it down. And they were alive with enough time that they remembered. They saw it for themselves. And when they wrote it down, there was other eyewitnesses to corroborate what they had seen and what they, had, what they were writing down. And those eyewitnesses of this incident here were Peter, James, and John. When they went up to the mountain of transfiguration, it was Peter, James, and John. They were, they were, they were witnesses. John or James at this time had already been put to death. The time of this writing, he was the first one of all three to be put to death. Of all the disciples, for that matter. And John would have been the last one to die. Oh, they wanted to put him to death, but he just didn't die. And so he died a natural death as an old man. But out of these three witnesses, Peter is the one that pins this right here to tell us. And they knew what they knew. And they were willing to stand by what they knew, even to death. They would never back down. There was no way that that, what they were able to see, could escape their memory. The Apostle Paul did tell us that in 1 Corinthians 15, that there were over 500 people who saw Jesus alive after he was killed. There was many, many witnesses but they didn't, they didn't experience this kind of majesty. Oh, they, they experienced the power of God and they experienced the coming of God when they seen Jesus in the glorified body before he ascended. <clears throat> but these witnesses, they saw his majesty. They saw something that was mind-blowing, that was epic. Turn, if you will, to Mark chapter 9 to read the story that Peter is, is sharing with us here. This is what Peter, James, and John got to experience. They got to see and hear all these things. And so it gave them credibility to be eyewitnesses. Beginning in verse 1 of Matthew 9, it says this, Jesus speaking here. And he said to them, Assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain 
apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they, ta- and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for he was greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but, Jesus, but only Jesus with themselves. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he, Jesus, commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had raised from the dead. Man, oh man, can you imagine? Can you imagine what they were able to experience there on the mountain of transfiguration. It's interesting that as they were coming down, Jesus says, oh, and by the way, don't tell anybody what you've seen and heard. Can you imagine? It's like seeing glory, majesty, right before their eyes. And Jesus says, don't say anything. It's like, (laughs) it's like, how could they, it's like, my heart is not a warehouse that it can hold all this stuff. But they had to. They, they, they weren't supposed to say anything until after the resurrection. Oh, can you imagine what they're like looking at each other going, was it unbelievable or what? We can't say anything. Jeez. They were instructed not to. It's almost like I'm sure they couldn't wait to be able to tell someone. But think about this. Think about what they were able to experience there. They saw the power and the coming of the Lord. They saw Jesus in all his majesty, in all his splendor, in all his glory. They got to see it right before their eyes. And it's interesting because Peter, they are so stunned that Peter turns to Jesus like, can we just stay here? Can we just build three tabernacles, three booths, three tents? Let's just camp out forever. Forget the world. I don't want to go back there after seeing what I've seen here. Why would I want to? Let them go to hell, Lord. We don't want to tell them anything. We'll just stay right here. (laughs) They were so in awe of what they had saw. In other words, they got to see the kingdom of heaven before they actually died. They got to see it with their own eyes. They got a glimpse of what heaven would look like in a sense. In all its splendor, in all its beauty. They got to see it. They got to see how Jesus would look at his coming. Brighter than anything. And they also got to see the law and the prophets. From the OT. They got to see Moses and Elijah. Think about that. Moses and Elijah were pointing to Jesus this whole time that they were there, who would be the one that would fulfill the law and the prophets. And catch this. Peter, James, and John are there 
representing the future church. Isn't that amazing? That there, in that very moment, you have Jesus, the law, the prophets, and the church all together at one place. It's no wonder they didn't want to come down. They were experiencing something that was so epic that it's like, let's just stay. Let's just stay. All that was happening on that mount was surrounding Jesus' death, his departure, where it says in Luke 9, uh, 30 and 31, and behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease which he was about to accomplish it at Jerusalem. You see, heaven and uh, up in heaven, it was the talk of the town up there. Jesus will be dying at any moment. And it's like God says, hey, you, Moses, Elijah, you guys are going to go down and minister to my son. You guys are going to go down and encourage him in this departure. Guys, it was a hardcore thing that was coming upon Jesus. And even the the prophets and the law were coming down to represent of what God was about to do here. So because of what Jesus was going through, the, the Father speaks from heaven so that Jesus can receive glory and honor, and he does. Not just for that moment, for, but for the ages, just like this morning, that we get to give him honor and glory that is due his name for what he has done. Man, oh man, can you imagine that scene of being there in the mountain of transfiguration and says that they heard the voice of God. The, the father was, was well pleased in what his son was going to do Oh, he so loved his son. But he so loved the world that he gave his son into this world so that you and I can experience what Peter, James, and John had experienced at that moment. We are the ones that benefit because of that whole thing. But to think that Peter, James, and John heard the voice of God, the excellent, splendid and, and, and mad, majestic glory, they heard his voice. Peter not only saw the glory of God, but he heard the voice of God. Man. It, it, it's even, even hard to fathom a good eyewitness not only testifies of what he sees, but also of what he's heard. And I'm sure that this was something that Peter played over and over and over in his mind of what had happened. I'm sure when he talked to to James and John about this whole thing, because they weren't able to tell anybody else, they'd like just look at each other in, in stunned silence going, you remember, right? You remember that whole scenario. Their, their, their story never changed. Because it didn't have to, because it was the truth. They didn't have to what they had they didn't have to worry what the other two people were talking about. Because it was all true. They knew what they had heard and saw. After this whole thing came out that what had happened up in the in the mount, it must have changed them forever as they were sharing with the people, realizing the significance of it all. The return of Christ was even more real to them. The fact that they saw Moses and Elijah 
as alive as they were hundreds of years ago. They had been dead for hundreds of years. I'm sure Peter, James, and John had talked about Moses and Elijah. They had read about them in the Scriptures, and they're seeing them face to face, eye to eye, talking to them. Again, just solidifying eternal life. These men who were dead for hundreds of years were very much alive. Eternal life was was something that they understood even more so at that moment because they had saw what eternal life looks like. Man, can you imagine just thinking about this whole thing? Understanding right now because of what the Word of God is telling us that when we die, that when we depart from here, we have an entrance into the kingdom of heaven and people are alive there today. They're experiencing these things. They heard the voice of God. They saw the glory of God on that holy mountain. Verses 19 to 21. We better hurry here. What's the second service? All right. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's like, no, there's some food out there. Um, it says, and so we have, verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as the light that shines in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For Scripture, never, for prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Because the Old Testament prophesied of the coming of Christ and his future kingdom that he would set up, all of this became even more real to them, to to the eyewitnesses. They understood it because it had been written down and they heard the voice of God. They had the word of God in their midst. And so they understood it with more so and they were more confirmed than ever. As, as they realized what they had saw, it was, it, it was even more firm for them what they knew about God. The Word of God had become even more solid because it is the Word of God. And they had heard God speak. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God will endure forever. God holds His Word above His name and His name lasts for everlasting. Everything that God has said has come to pass and what hasn't will because God says what He means and means what He says. And so the Word was evidence to them. It was proof positive that the future light would be coming into this dark world and they seen it. They seen the word become flesh and it dwelt among them. And they, they beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father. These guys, man, were blown away. He had become flesh and he was the light of men. The evidence was clear, was made clear because they had the more sure prophetic word. It was written by men for sure, but they were inspired by, by, the, by the Holy Spirit. They couldn't make this stuff up. Not the way it came about. 
They were moved by the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, For all Scripture was given or is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be, may be complete, thoroughly equipped in every good work. You see, God didn't do anything in secret. When Jesus was before the priest, he told them, I have not done anything or said anything in secret. It's all been out in the open. And God has given us his word. He has told us from beginning to end how it's going to play out. And you can take this at its word because it's the word of God. And he holds his word above his name. I know the argument that some have Well, you cannot prove it scientifically. And they are right. You can't prove history scientifically. More often than not, to prove something scientifically, you have to have observation, or it has to be observable, measurable, and repeatable. And you can't do that with history, so you have to go with the evidence that we have. And there's a lot of evidence that is written about the Word of God. A lot of evidence. I, I got this information from a Baptist pastor by the name of Vody Bacham Jr. I've watched a couple of his sermons and stuff and read a book, uh, a couple or one of his books of many that he has written. But this is what he says. I took this from his information. It says, we have 6,000 manuscripts or portions of manuscripts of the New Testament alone versus fewer than 12 copies of Julius's, Julius Caesar's Gaelic or Gaelic wars, fewer than ten copies of Aristotle, Aristotle's Poetics, and zero manuscripts of the writings of Socrates. We know about him only through the writings of Plato. The earliest manuscripts we have of the New Testament date from around A.D. 120, about two and a half decades after the original manuscripts were written. For Gaelic's Wars, the earliest manuscripts we have were written 1,000 years after the original. The poetics of Aristotle, the earliest, were written 1,400 years from the original. For Socrates, we've got nothing but Plato's accounts. And Homer's Iliad, the earliest manuscripts were written 2100s after 2100 years after Homer's time. In, in, an, in one of the, the studies that I heard from Bacham here, he says that just in the commentaries alone that were written in the first century from these writings, you can make up so many different manuscripts that, that there's a complete word of God, the word of God in many of the commentaries that were being passed around by so many people. There's so much evidence that the Word of God is the Word of God. And yet you never hear about Socrates or Plato or even Aristotle or any of these. It's like, oh, I don't know if we can trust it. It's been a lot of years. And you know how time goes on. You never hear people you know, challenge their, their, their college professors on those kinds of writings, right? You never hear students say, oh, I can't believe that math book because it was written by man. But yet you always hear that about the Word of God. I can't believe that science book because it was written by man. 
You never hear that. The only time you have an argument when it comes to the Word of God, oh, you can't believe it, it was written by man. It's like, yeah, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the manuscripts that we have are proof. And I know that we can't make anybody believe what we believe. We really can't convince anyone. It is truly a work of God and a move of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8 says that the Holy Spirit will come or has come to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Guys, I don't believe what I believe because it works for me. I believe what I believe because the, the evidence is obvious. And there is no other logical choice but the Word of God. That it is true. If others are right, and I am wrong, <laughs> for we are wrong. If others are right that this is nothing but a big fable, a myth, then I have nothing to lose. I've lived a good life a good moral life. If it's all fake, I have nothing to lose. But if it is the only way to have eternal life, it is, if it is truly the truth, I still have nothing to lose but everything to gain. <laughs> My heart goes out to them. They're banking on it being a fable. And they will lose big time. They will lose eternity with God. See, I have nothing to lose if they're right. But if we're right, if the Word of God is right, man, they have everything to lose. And we, we should have a heart to go out and share with them the truth of the gospel. The evidence is there. We have His Word. Everything that He has said has come to pass. And the things that haven't will. Amen? Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for your word once again that has proven to us, Lord God, who you are. You have given us eyewitnesses who wrote their accounts. Father, like Peter, he didn't want anybody to forget what the things that you have spoken to him and showed him, Lord. And this morning, Lord God, we have the opportunity to go over it once again. What, what, what he experienced, we get to read about, Lord. And what an awesome privilege that is, Lord God. And I pray that, God, you would just minister to those who are believers in this room, that they would be so confident in what the Word of God says, Lord, because nothing has been done in secret. You have given it to us, all of it, Lord. And you hold your name, or you hold your Word above your name. That's how confident you are in what you've given to us, Lord. And so, Father, please help us to stand on it, to rely upon it, and not to be ashamed of it, Lord God. That you would give us the boldness to go out and minister. I do pray for those who don't know you right now, Lord, who maybe even in their minds, Lord God, they might not say it outwardly, but right now they're saying, ah, oh, I just can't believe it. Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction upon them through your Holy Spirit. I know that it is the work of God that does that work. And I pray that that work would be, doing, be going on right now in those hearts of those who do not believe right now, Lord. Bring them to a saving knowledge and show them, Lord God, how true you are. And we bless you and we thank you for your goodness and your grace. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless.